For over five decades, Johnny Erickson Tata has been an example of Christian perseverance and joy in the midst of deep suffering. From the publication of her best-selling book, Johnny, in 1976, to her decades of work serving the disability community through her ministry, Johnny and Friends, Johnny has embraced a life of love, of service, and of worship, with her eyes fixed on eternity. In our interview today, I'm talking with Johnny about her initial reaction to learning at the young age of 17 that she would never walk again, how she had wrestled with the truth of God's sovereignty over her life through the years, and how she hangs on to the hope of heaven each and every day. Johnny's new book is Songs of Suffering, 25 Hymns and Devotions for Weary Souls, published by Crossway. Let's get started. Johnny, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Matt, good to be with you. And of course, uh, all of the followers of the Crossway Podcast, my honor. Mm, it is our honor as well to talk with you. It is truly a privilege, uh, Johnny, for a good chunk of my life, and I'm sure the lives of many of my listeners right now, uh, your life has stood as one of the most powerful examples of faithful endurance and, and joy in the midst of suffering. And today is kind of a special day, a unique day. Just two days ago, on July 30th, was the 55th anniversary of something that happened to you when you were just 17 years old, uh, something that would change the rest of your life. And I know many of our listeners, they know this story, they've heard this before, but I wonder if you could just share a little bit about what happened that day for those who aren't as familiar with you. Well, Matt, I cannot believe I've crested 55 years in this wheelchair uh, when I broke my neck and doctors told me I'd never walk again, have use of my hands. Um, I, 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 I was breathless. I was numb. I was bewildered, unbelieving. It was incomprehensible to me. Mm. Um, such a young believer that God would allow something, such a harsh affliction. Um, and, and I didn't even want to live 10 years in my wheelchair, hmm. let alone 55. And so, I don't know, when I think about quadriplegia, sometimes it's hard for people to imagine that. So I guess I want our listeners to picture sitting down, never being able to stand up again, and having your hands limp and useless in your lap. Just picture, just imagine that. And I, I know it's a horrible feeling to those of us who are listening right now thinking mm. about it, but that's the kind of horror I used to wake up to, Matt, every day. Mm. Um, I was afraid of waking up every morning knowing that I would face the deadly peril of paralysis. But, you know, the good thing about God, of course, many things wondrous about him, but he specializes in delivering his people from their fears. And so, Matt, early on, um, I was so desperate for hope, so so needing something solid to cling to. And so I learned early on to lean every day on God's promises, especially uh, I'm thinking back on uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is such a good verse. Mm. It says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, okay? To me, my peril was total paralysis. It says, he has delivered us 
from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. And then he goes on to say in him, we set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And Matt, every day I experience a deliverance because mm. every day I still wake up. Oh, Jesus, here we go again. Mm. Um, and I lean on Second Corinthians 1.10, knowing that he will continue to deliver me. After all, he is my deliverer. I might not be delivered physically, but he delivers my soul from fear every day. And I experience uh, so much of his grace and comfort, Matt. Mm. Wow, 55 years of it. Yeah, so often we, we want to believe that God is our deliverer, that he is our savior, that he cares about these things, the suffering that we're enduring. And yet uh, so, so often that deliverance doesn't happen the way that we want it to, the way that we expect it to. And I've, I've heard you say that your disability is, quote, like a sheepdog. Uh, I wonder if you could explain, why do you say that? Well, uh, sheepdogs, as we all know, herd unruly sheep in the direction that usually they don't want to go. And that's exactly what my affliction is. Um, uh, the Bible talks about God faithfully afflicting us. And certainly my suffering, my paralysis is a sheepdog that snaps at my heels, biting, growling, and herding me, crowding me, as it were, down the road to Calvary, uh, where otherwise, uh, man, I just know I would not be naturally inclined to go. Mm. Don't ask me what I would be doing if I were not in this wheelchair, but I know, Matt, for sure, I would not be talking to you about the goodness and graciousness of a faithful God in the midst of affliction, but my suffering is that which, like a sheepdog, pushes me, drives me mm. in a place where I'm not humanly inclined to go. But thankfully, I, I am able to look at that sheepdog of suffering as a good friend, mm. a nasty friend, but a friend nevertheless. And uh, I'm so grateful that he pushes me into the arms of Jesus every day. Yeah, yeah. So for those who, who don't know your story, you... You broke your neck in a diving accident when you were, as we said, just 17 years old. At that point in your life, you mentioned earlier you were a Christian then, but had you ever encountered suffering on the scale or you know, even in other people uh, like what you then began to experience? Oh, never. I didn't know anyone in a wheelchair. I certainly did not know quadriplegics. I had heard about paraplegics those who were paralyzed from the waist down, but the unthinkable that you could actually live without use of your legs and your hands. Mm. Um, I didn't know anyone like that. So I did not have many, uh, quote, role models of inspiration as it were. Yeah. But thankfully I had good Christian friends, Matt, who weren't afraid of my wheelchair. They didn't treat me like an invalid. They treated me like their friend. Who needed help and they were the ones who prayed me up out of my affliction and got my nose buried deep into the word of god i look back and i thank god for those good friends hmm. yeah and i want to uh, talk a little bit about your as you call them pain pals uh, and people who have stood by you for years and have been encouragements to you and, and you to them. But before we go there, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your husband, Ken, as well, who you just recently celebrated your 40th anniversary with. Absolutely. 
my husband is uh, my best friend, my closest companion. You know, when, when we are afflicted, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 says, two are better than one, for if one of them falls, the other one's going to lift them up. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift them up. Mm. And that that shows right there why God created spiritual community for those who suffer. And for me, I find that community in my husband, Ken Tata, for 40 years. He is, uh, he is the one who, because of my quadriplegia, has, oh, oh, God has birthed in him such a heart of compassion. Hmm. And again, if he were here with me, he would confess that he wouldn't be the guy that he is today were it not for my disability. So hmm. I think uh, my wheelchair has been a sheepdog in his life as well. <laughs> I, I was watching some videos on the Johnny and Friends YouTube channel, and I came across one from about, I think it was 12 years ago, and it was you and Ken in your art studio looking at some of your favorite pieces of art, um, some that, that I think you had worked on and others that friends had drawn or, or painted. And one of them was a piece that was painted by a friend of yours, of you and your husband, and you two were dancing. And, and for me, the video just captured this beautiful little exchange between you and Ken that really conveyed so much of your love for one another and, and this patient endurance in the midst of this disability for for decades now. I wonder if you could just briefly tell us a little bit about that piece and why it's so meaningful for you two. Well, that is a wonderful piece of art and you're right. It shows the wheelchair behind and my husband dancing with me and Ken often says, Johnny, I know that Jesus has the first dance, <laughs> but I'm gonna fill up your dance card every single dance after that one, okay? Yeah. I say, okay. <laughs> It's so beautiful, and it, it testifies to this hope that you have, that both you and your husband have the hope of the resurrection, the hope of final and full redemption, and that, again, is a theme that just permeates all of your ministry over these last decades. Well, resurrection is what it's all about. Every day is a chance to experience the power of the resurrection again. Mm. We wake up in the morning, and we die to self and live to Jesus. We, we, we die to self and are resurrected. Our hopes are resurrected in him. And there must be countless times I experience the power of the resurrection every day as I die to my own wants and wishes and grab hold of that resurrection power that's assured me in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. So there you go. What can I say? It's how I live. Yeah. I wonder if you could just share a little bit about what your day-to-day -day life looks like these days. I'm sure after over five decades of dealing with this quadriplegia, uh, it, you must have some kind of good routines down or systems down that help you kind of manage day to day. Well, I take very good care of my body. I, I know it's frail, it's feeble, and I want to squeeze every ounce of ministry opportunity out of this paralyzed body that I possibly can. And so I make certain that I just observe all the good physical disciplines that I should, eating right, eating healthy, you know, getting lots of sleep, all those good things. I love working at Johnny and Friends mm. because um, even though I'm a quadriplegic, uh, it is not lost on me that I am the most blessed quadriplegic in the world. Mm. Uh, in most countries, people like me do not even survive. And so I invest every ounce of energy and effort into everything that I can do to make their life uh, better. Yeah. And of course, that begins giving the gospel 
of Jesus and assisting them with their practical needs in developing nations. And it's, oh, it's just what I love to, doing. May God keep me healthy so that I can keep doing that for many more years to come. Hmm. And I'm sure that is part of the answer to my next question. But uh, you've said that the struggles and challenges that you face on a daily basis are, quote, the perfect storm for discouragement. And I'm sure all of us can imagine what that might be like. And we all have our own struggles and suffering in life that can lead us so quickly into discouragement. What have been some of the practical things that you've pursued day in and day out as a Christian that you have found helpful over the years in fighting against that discouragement? Well, I, I, this is the 18th year my husband and I have read through the Bible in a year. Uh, I soak myself in scripture. I have to, it's my, it's my meat and drink. It, I am one of those of whom Christ spoke in John chapter six. You know, you got to eat my flesh. You got to drink my blood. That's how close I want you to abide in me. Hmm. And, and, and that's what I do. I, he is my meat and my drink. So uh, my spiritual discipline of reading his word and communing with him in prayer is uh, it's a lifeline. What can I say? I cannot survive without it. Hmm. Plus, um, Matt, I surround myself with other hope-filled people. Um, I remember J.R. Miller once said something years ago, he said, uh, that we comfort others when we make them stronger to endure, when we put courage into their hearts, when we enable them to pass through their sorrows victoriously. And, and that's the way Christ comforts us. He doesn't merely sit down beside his troubled ones and just, you know, and, and feel for them. He enters into their experiences. He, he does sympathize with us, but it's so that he might make us stronger to endure, and I want to hang around people like that. Hmm. Um, so even though my uh, ministry, my work, um, often uh, has me encountering many people who are struggling against despair and hopelessness, I make certain privately, I, I uh, invite others to invest their lives in me who are filled with hope and yet um, uh, remaining strong in their afflictions. Psalm 119 says that, uh, I know, Lord, that in faithfulness you have afflicted me, and I want to hang around people who think that way about their suffering. So mm. uh, uh, you me. mentioned earlier, uh, you mentioned earlier, Matt, my pain pals, and that, that's why I connect with, with a lot of them. Yeah. Tell us about your pain pals. What, what exactly is that? What are you doing with these people? Okay. So, you know, after the Johnny book and other books I've written, I've received so many letters from people who struggle with intractable pain, um, chronic pain. Many of them are bedridden. Um, and usually these are the ones who aren't expressing discouragement or depression. These are the ones who, because they hold fast to the word of God, are filled with words of hope. And so I was emailing and writing a lot of these people back and forth and forth and back. And I thought, they all have to meet each other. And so I formed this private Facebook page. It's a it's a, a, a secret page on Facebook. And it is uh, 45, 50, 60 pain pals. And we all encourage each other. Hmm. And most of us will never meet each other on this side of heaven. But um, we post essays by Thomas Watson, by John Owens, by Richard Baxter, um, uh, Charles Spurgeon, John Piper, we, we constantly are encouraging one another and uh, lifting each other up and reminding each other that 1 Corinthians 1, 20, every promise of God finds its yes and amen 
mm. in Jesus Christ. So how could we possibly doubt our Savior uh, and his promises when he has given his life for us? We, we, we remind ourselves of these things, and it certainly does lift mm. the spirits of all of us. We have a, an esprit de corps that keeps us hope-filled and, uh, mm. and excited about what God has to show us each day through our afflictions. What a great idea and something that I'm sure many people listening would, would say, sign me up for that. I would love to be a part of that. But it's the kind of thing that, that any of us could do. We could find others uh, who are suffering alongside of us and intentionally encourage each other, find ways to do that. Um, it's such a simple thing, but so so profound and powerful in our lives. In fact, Matt, when people even still now write to say, oh, can I join your pain pal uh, club? I say, hey, go create one yourself Yeah. because I've got 45 you might have uh, 55 of people in your <laughs> sphere of influence who, who need encouragement. And mm. so you're right. Even for someone who's bedridden, it's a wonderful way to have a powerful ministry and uh, also to switch some uh, really super essays of, of saints of old who have mm. shared such sage wisdom about dealing with afflictions. So mm. um, go out there and create your own private Facebook page and encourage somebody. <laughs> So, Johnny, I, I think it's probably fair to say that uh, there's probably people listening right now who are hearing you talk right now, have maybe heard you talk in the past about uh, what it what it looks like to pursue faithfulness and trust in the midst of this suffering. And it feels like for them, if they were being honest, like this is something that you can do because you're you're a super Christian. God has God has gifted you. God has drawn you so close to Himself. You're so mature in your faith. That that is how you're able to have this perspective that you've you've even been articulating today. But they look at themselves and the suffering that they're fe- facing, and they're like, "I can't, I can't do that. I, I don't know how I would ever do that." What well, what would you say to the Christian listening who's thinking that way right now? Well, I would tell them, uh, "Do not fear your suffering. It comes to make you weak, very weak." But the weaker you are, the harder you're going to have to learn on Jesus. And the harder you lean on him, the stronger you're going to discover him to be. That's what your fears, that's what your afflictions will do. And God will seem suddenly very big to you because he's always bigger to people who need him most. And so, um, Matt, if I were to be labeled a super Christian, I would only be super in the sense that I recognize how weak I am. Hmm. That's what I excel in. I, I excel, I'm excellent in recognizing how needy I am of God, how I cannot do it without him. Hmm. And, and Matt, anybody can feel that way. Anybody can look at themselves that way. Um, my pain uh, really drives me uh, crazy sometimes, especially in the middle of the night when I wake up and man, I am just in such, mm. uh, such discomfort. And I dare not wake my husband up a third or fourth time to come in and turn me. So I turn to scriptures that I've memorized because obviously my hands don't work. So I can't grab a Bible. I memorize. Okay. So I'll choose a promise like second uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse eight, though we are hard pressed on all sides we're not crushed. And that's a promise. And that promise is as good as the character of Jesus Christ. So I, I will say to God, you think I can do this. I don't think I can, hmm. but you think I 
can do this with your grace. So I'm going to take you at your word, believe your promise, and say to my pain, pain, you will not crush me. Hmm. Because God promises me that in 2 Corinthians 4, 8. And so Jesus, I know you're going to show up and give me grace to sustain me through this until morning. And Matt, I'm never, he, I'm never disappointed. He always shows up. So uh, that's just one little example of how I recognize my weakness and what I, what I do with it. Mm. You got to do something with your weakness. You can't wallow in it. You got to, you got to let it drive you to your only source of hope and help. Mm. And um, so I would just encourage people not to fear their suffering, but al- allow it to make them weak. And in that weakness, find the strength of God. So, Johnny, many who know you personally, they know you as someone who is constantly singing, someone who has a song for almost any and every circumstance that you're facing, any situation that you're in. How has singing, and in particular singing the great hymns of our faith, been uh, an encouragement, a ballast to you over the years? Well, you know, sometimes, um, Matt, my pain is so bad that it is so hard to pray. And um, that's often when I will turn to the stanzas of hymns that I have memorized over the years. Um, Be still my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be plain at last. Be still my soul, the waves and winds still know the one who ruled them when he dwelt below. And that's a way of putting into practice Psalm 42, where David says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Come on, mm. get with it. Put your hope in God, your Savior. And 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 to do that, I will recite or sing the, the stances of these timeless hymns because they are rich with good biblical doctrine. And when you marry music uh, to words, then it seems to in, impress itself deeper into your mind, heart, memory. And so of all the treasure trove of hymns I have, uh, these are the, the stanzas that sustain me in times when my mind is so foggy my brain has clouded my thinking so poorly that all I can do is reach back into that treasure chest and pull out a, a hymn that's already been well memorized and mm. recite it to God as praise or thanksgiving or as an appeal. And mm. uh, so I sing my way through suffering. Yeah. And I want to look at a couple of those other hymns that, that you included in your new book with us and that are meaningful to you. Uh, but before we do that, you talk about Jesus and about uh, what we read about him with regard to songs and singing in the New Testament. You talk about that one horrible moment in which Scripture explicitly records that Jesus actually sang. It's the one time that we actually see him uh actually spoken of as singing explicitly. What was that moment, and why Why do you think that reveals perhaps something unique about the power of singing uh, when we're in the midst of suffering? Well, I do not have the verse reference right in front of me, but I know it was in the book of Matthew uh, during the um, Upper Room Discourse when he was enjoying that last Passover with his disciples, and Right before he was led away to his death, um, they completed the Passover meal, 
and scripture says that quote they sang a hymn hmm. and that's the one the only place in holy writ where we hear uh, jesus singing uh as he was being led away to his death and i i think the scripture is so wise in giving us just that one moment that one glimpse because it is an example a pattern for us this is this is to teach us something about the way we need to respond when we are um, led to our quote death as it were hmm. uh, despairing over some awful medical report or a botched surgery or um, uh, you know back pain that is intolerable when we are led to our daily dying um, we have the example of Christ and we know Jesus sang a lot we know that because um, the Psalms of Ascent uh, Psalm 121 through, I believe it's 137, if I'm not mistaken. The Psalms of Ascent were songs that um, pilgrims sang uh, every year on the three times they went up to Jerusalem for holy festivals. They would they would walk the dry riverbeds of Galilee and, and Judea and on their way up the mountain ridge to Jerusalem and coming from distances as far as South Turkey, perhaps. And, and as they traveled together in family groups, they would sing the Psalms of Ascent. It was just what good Jewish boys did. And so we can rightly assume Jesus did the same when his family went up to Jerusalem to celebrate any one of the festivals. So we know Jesus sang, but yet only when he was led off to his death is it recorded specifically Mm. that he sang a hymn, and we can do the same, mm. and so we should. Mm. We so often, in our in our modern church culture today, we think of singing as this celebration, as uh, this kind of optimistic praising of God, and yet so many of the psalms, which are songs, and, and so many of the great hymns of our faith are, are laments. They're songs that deal with the suffering and the pain that we are facing head-on. Have you found that those kinds of songs have been especially meaningful to you? Oh, yes. Um, I was mentioning Be Still My Soul uh, earlier. And uh, when I was in the hospital, um, well, I was raised Reformed Episcopalian. So I had already memorized as a child many psalms because that's part of the Book of Common Prayer. But also uh, we sang the timeless hymns of the faith, Be Still My Soul being one of them. I quoted the second verse or the second stanza earlier, but the first stanza, I would repeat that self as a, as a prayer, lying in bed, um, bewildered, unbelieving about this medical diagnosis of total mm. paralysis, and I would comfort myself in the dark. I wanted to cry, but there was nobody around to wipe my nose at two o'clock in the morning in the hospital. And so I would sing, be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. Be still my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways is going to lead to a joyful end. Oh, my goodness. There are so many rich biblical precepts in that stanza alone. Uh, no wonder my heart was was made tender toward the word of God mm. when um, I leaned back on those on those hymns. And and Matt, that, that brings up a good point real quickly. I memorized those hymns as a child. Mm. 
Hmm. I just happened to go to a Reformed Episcopal church where we sang uh, whatever my God ordains is right. Um, and uh, Jesus, Jesus, I am resting, resting. We sang those hymns and because they were good, rich, deep hymns filled with great truth. As a child, memorizing them, it was what I fell back to. It was what mm -hmm. I defaulted to when I was a teenager and struggling to put it all together. Mm. This is a good good reminder for the parents listening right now who have young children that this is this is the time to instill to embed those deep truths in their hearts and their minds. Uh, actually, that leads to the next hymn I did want to talk about with you, which is "Whatever My God Ordains Is Right," uh, and that's such a powerful song for those who know it. If you don't know it. Uh, go go pick up a copy of this new book. It's got the full text there, and you have a devotional uh, related to that. But but the song so powerfully testifies to God's sovereignty over our lives, and especially our suffering. Uh, I wonder if you could share, what was that like for you to come to terms with that biblical truth that for many of us at certain different points in our life is very hard for us to accept and to grasp? Well, let me share a little story that will uh, help answer that, Matt. You know, when I was on my feet, I used to love putting together puzzles. Um, I remember one time I was doing a puzzle with my sister, and and uh, she accidentally kicked the table. Puzzle pieces went flying everywhere. And I'm scrambling to look under the couch behind the drapes, try to gather all the missing pieces, and it was useless. They were gone. The whole puzzle was ruined. And I think when we suffer a devastating, a life-altering injury, it's so much the same. Here we're putting together our life so neat and tidy as though it were um, a puzzle. We, we've got the picture on the cover. We know what it's supposed to look like, so we mm. work toward that end. Everything is neat and orderly and regulated. And then all of a sudden, there's this life-altering event, and people often feel as though God has kicked their table and scattered all the puzzle pieces of their lives. And they want everything to once again feel orderly and familiar. And so people frantically try to put their life back together as it once was. But God doesn't want things as they once were. Hmm. God is all about changing our circumstances. And, and this describes me right after I broke my neck. Um, I was trying to put things back together as they once were. I wanted my life like it was, Jesus, but uh, it wasn't to be. Hmm. My life was now on a different trajectory. I did not realize it was a better trajectory at the time, but that took some faith. And now um, I like to uh, show people when they have questions about um, the puzzle pieces of their lives, I, I show them this pencil drawing. Now I know our Listeners cannot see this, but uh, it's a picture of my face comprised of lots of puzzle pieces, and, and many of them are missing. And a friend sketched it of me after I got out of the hospital. And when people observe that the image of my face is missing so many puzzle pieces, I'll explain to them, you know what? It's same for you. It's no use trying to reconstruct your life as it once was. Trust me, you'll, you'll never get back what you've lost. And most of those pieces of your life are going to stay missing until the other side of eternity. Hmm. And so when I sing this song, whatever God ordains is right, I think of Ephesians 1.11. Um, I think it puts the puzzle of suffering into context. 
because in Christ we were also chosen, been predestined according to the plan. Okay, you got three things going for you there. And what is that plan? He works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Mm. And life with uh, its missing, missing pieces is hidden within God's plan. Mm. Whether, as I said, a crippling injury, a divorce, an unexpected death, um, our immediate instinct is to remake life as we once knew it, but God doesn't want your life to be the same. Mm. He wants it to. He wants to resketch it so the, the 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 picture on the cover of your puzzle box looks more like Jesus, mm. and and that's what He puts together from the pieces of your life which remain, a better image, a new image, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mm. Most wonderful. And the last hymn I wanted to briefly touch on is. The, the final hymn that you include in the book, which is When We All Get to Heaven. Why end the book with that song? Well, one of the stanzas, um, uh, while we walk this pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. And mm. only in heaven, Matt, Will we ever understand our sufferings on earth? You can't understand them on earth without an end time perspective. Mm. That's when all the puzzle pieces are going to fit together. And only in heaven will God give us the key that will unlock sense out of what now seems to be such senseless suffering. And Matt, I cannot wait to get to heaven to take the hands of Jesus in mine. And, and as I hold his hands, I'm going to feel the nail scars. And I will look straight at my Savior and say, Jesus, thank you. Oh, I could never have gotten through that paralysis were it not for your grace. And he'll look back into my eyes and he will know that I mean it. Hmm. Because he will recognize me as the one who came to him every single day, every hour, hemorrhaging human strength saying, I can't do this. I simply cannot do this. But I can do all things through you, Jesus, as you strengthen me. He's going to recognize me as that one. And 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 I guess that's why when I get to heaven, uh, people often ask me, who's the first person you want to see beside Jesus in heaven? And my answer is the 10th leper. I want to meet the 10th leper because that's me. Mm. He healed me in such a deep, deep level, deep way that I'm going to be the one who's going to run back to him, shouting and proclaiming, oh, thank you, Jesus, dropping to his feet, kissing those precious feet and saying, bless you for giving me the power and the strength, because mm. I certainly didn't have it on my own. Mm. And I just hope that gives him greater glory. Yeah. You know, isn't that the whole goal of it all, to give him greater glory? Mm. Maybe as a final question, Johnny, uh, in his famous book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis famously wrote, Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world, something that really resonates so well with what you've shared with us today and your own experience of pain and suffering under the, the gracious hand of God. As you sit here now, 55 years after that terrible accident, what are some of the other ways that you would finish that statement? Pain is what? Mm. Pain is an unwelcomed guest but it is a guest nevertheless. Pain is a severe mercy, severe, awful, terrible, horrible, 
but it is a mercy nonetheless. Um, pain is a bruising of a blessing, but it is still a blessing. And I can only say that because my heart is filled with thanksgiving to God, and it is gratitude that helps you frame every difficult circumstance as a blessing. Mm. Gratitude is what's going to provide the way for you to lean into the pain, to stand face to face with it, and to not to despair. And I'm, I'm not talking about a romanticized, un, unrealistic detachment from suffering. I'm, I'm talking about a thankful spirit that really, really engages with Christ in the middle of your worst afflictions. And I think when you cultivate gratitude like that, you can look at pain as a, a guest, albeit unwelcome. You can look at it as a mercy, albeit severe. You can look at it as a blessing, albeit accompanied with a lot of bruisings. It's, it's your thankful heart that will give you the resources to face pain without a hint of self-pity. Hmm. And that's, that's quite a, oh, that is a life achievement, isn't it? Hmm. My goodness. Hmm. Well, to close our conversation today, I wonder if you would uh, pray, cl- pray for the person listening right now who is in the midst of some kind of severe suffering. Maybe it is a broken body. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a broken dream. Whatever it might be, how might you lead that person to the throne of our Father? Well, let me do it right now, Matt. Um, Lord Jesus, even now as I speak, I know friends are listening who are struggling with that botched surgery or that divorce or that unexpected death, the untimely medical report, and it is overwhelming. Like me, at one time, our friends listening might be saying, I can't do this. Um, they're bewildered. They're, they're, they're unbelieving. They're numb. They're emotionally sick at heart. Jesus, would you be ever present and near to them? For you promised that you are near to the brokenhearted. You save those who are crushed in spirit. And then, Jesus, would you open our spiritual eyes to help us see that you will deliver us from our deadly peril. You will continue to deliver us as we lean on you and your promises. And indeed, every promise is yes and amen. It finds this, this fulfillment in you, Jesus. So be very near to my friend who is hurting. Help them tomorrow morning to wake up. And as they open their eyes before they get out of the bed, may they think, God, I can't do this. I cannot, cannot do it. But you promised me that I can do all things through you, Jesus, as you strengthen me. And then would you give them the wherewithal spiritually to hold fast to you and to hold on to your promises throughout the day, inch by inch, bit by bit, millimeter by millimeter, until hope rises in their hearts. Father, do this to not only benefit our friend listening, but to glorify your precious name and your great and glorious son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful, even through the toughest of afflictions, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Johnny, for speaking with us today. That was Johnny Erickson Tata on her story of hope in the midst of suffering. For more, be sure to check out her book with Crossway, Songs of Suffering, 25 Hymns and Devotions for Weary Souls. Pick up your copy of the book for 30% off directly from Crossway, 
by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.